time. Okay, series on First Peter, all right? I'm not going to break it down and dissect every verse, though that's what I really like to do. But it might take us six to eight to 12 months to get through it. If I do that, we're going to try to get through this in about five or six weeks. God help us. All right, we'll see how that works out. Uh, and I, I'm afraid if we dig too deep, I'm going to lose some of you along the way. And then there are a lot of people that just aren't here consistently. And they're going to get lost anyway. The thing about it is, is this is the way I love to teach and preach, is to go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through a book of the Bible. Because when this was written, it was written uh, not broken down into chapters and verses, as you know. But it's, it's building. We're going to build each week on the message and follow the thought flow all the way through this letter that was inspired by God to be written by Simon Peter all those centuries ago. And it speaks to us today. So every week we want to build on it. And there's something there. And there, listen to this. There might be some topics that I would avoid, but I can't avoid them because they're right here. Got to deal with it, right? But like I said, we're not going to dive and dissect, dissect, dissect everything. Uh, so we're going to do a little overview. So this makes it really, it would be really great. This is where it would be awesome if we you know, had small groups meeting and going a little deeper during the week uh, with the very things that we're covering in general on Sunday. All right? So, but I want to encourage you to be doing that. If some of you are interested in that, let's get it going. Um, but uh, you've got to study because I'm just going to whet your appetite. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to whet your appetite and bring some things out. But the message is, is so powerful, and I hope that we get that. So um, today, um, we're going to start out in chapter 1. Of course, best place to start is the beginning, and when we get to the end, we'll quit. Uh, but, uh, so uh, this book was written to people, real people. I mean, it was written... To us, are you with me still? I mean, I just feel like you're going to have to. I, I'm that type of person. I like to have a little bit of, you know, even whether you really listen or not, if you look like you are, it helps me. It helps me. Uh, but the original people that this was written to are, you know, have some similar situations like we do today. Um, they were written to folks uh, who were going through some really, really tough times. Um, uh, they were living in, a, at that time, a rapidly changing world. This is probably written to people who most of them were of a Jewish background. They had been persecuted and disowned by a lot of their families. And then they're also being persecuted by the Romans as well. We're just a few, probably, are you with me? Probably when this was written, we're just a few years away from when Jerusalem would be destroyed by the Romans. Uh, things, tensions are changing. It's a crazy world. It was a changing world. It was a dangerous world. And um, that relates to the rapidly changing, strange, confusing world that we live in today. The theme of this book is that we have a genuine as opposed to a fake. A genuine, undying, supernatural hope even when the going gets tough. Because many times, we just kind of got this mindset that when things start not going our way, and when things go bad, when you do something right, and then something bad happens, and somehow or another God doesn't love you, or something's wrong. Listen, I'm going to tell you, you're going to find out in scriptures that a lot of times, it's whenever you let God begin to change your life, and you begin to do what's right, and think what's right, that sometimes then, things get tough. Because of that. So it's not a sign that God isn't with you necessarily. It's not a sign that God doesn't love you. It might be very well a sign that you are light shining in the darkness and the darkness doesn't like it. 
Just looking for a nod. Okay, good. So, with all the stuff that's been canceled during this pandemic, pandemic, getting tired of that word, but anyway, pandemic doesn't necessarily mean it's just all going to pan out someday. It means it's going on everywhere. It's not just here. Uh, people in other parts of the world have had tougher times than we have, so we need to be thankful. We really, really do. But there's been a lot of stuff canceled, a lot of stuff that I did not want to be canceled that got canceled. There's stuff that got canceled I didn't think really had to be canceled. But anyway, I'm going to tell you this. I have the following announcement to make, ladies and gentlemen. Hope will not be canceled. Amen? All right, so we're going to keep moving forward. God is giving us hope that will never end. I'm so tired of all of this, you know. Uh, it's like the other day I visited the doctor, and I said, Doctor, I said, Doctor, when's this going to end? I said, when is this going to end? When's things going to get better? When is this, everybody going to get immune to this? When are we going to get a treatment that stops it? When are we going to get a vaccine that stops it? I mean, when are things going to get better? What do you think, doctor? doctor looked at me and he said, I don't know. I'm just a doctor. What do you think? I'm a politician. How would I know, right? This is crazy times. And that's why we need to get back to something that is solid rock. We need to get to something that is going to endure forever and never changes. I want my life built on that because the opinions of all the thinkers out there and the philosophers out there and all the eggheads out there, it's always changing. This doesn't change. Solid rock. All right. So God is reminding us of this. Hope will not be canceled. Now I want to read the text. Have you got it? 1 Peter chapter 1. And I'm going to read portions of this. So we're talking about hope alive today. Hope alive. And that's the theme of this chapter. So let's, let's get into this. So we start off. Uh, you know, when we write a letter, a lot of times we sign our name at the end. Well, in these days when they wrote a letter, they put their name at the beginning. So you didn't have to look at the end to see who wrote it. You look at the beginning and you know who it's coming from. Okay, good. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect or chosen, exiles, aliens, strangers, uh, exiles of the dispersion. That means they were scattered because of a lot of different factors going on, part of it being persecution. Uh, of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. According to, they are chosen, according to, they are elect, chosen by God. Are you listening to this? According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. In the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Anybody here been grieved by various trials? Amen. He says, so that the tested genuine, the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That means when Jesus comes back. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe. That's faith. 
in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, that is, the salvation of your souls. Then he goes on to talk about the prophecies as this began to unfold in Scripture. In the Old Testament, prophets wrote about this. They didn't understand all about it like we do now, but it said they were curious to look into it. And even the angels in heaven are just like mesmerized and in awe of this plan as it unfolded. And so he said as a result of this, of this hope, he says, there's the next thing, holiness. He says in verse 13, therefore preparing your minds for action And being sober-minded, set your hope, there's our word again, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he keeps pointing out there's coming the day that Jesus is coming back. This is all going down, folks. We're closer than we've ever been. All right. He says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And he talks a little bit about that. But then we're going to drop down to see another big thing pop out. Not only hope and holiness, but harmony. And when I say harmony, I'm not talking about the white stuff they make out of corn. That's harmony. I mean harmony. That means getting along together. Listen to what he says next. He says, because the result of the hope and then of the holiness, the purity that's coming into our lives, he says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a, get this, are you listening? A sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For, and he quotes Old Testament, all flesh is as grass and the glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord endures or remains forever. Ever. And this is the word, and this word is the good news, the gospel that was preached to you. All right, let's go back through. You ready? Let's go back through. I'm excited to go back through this with you. The author of this book is very familiar to all of us, I think, that have been around the Bible very much at all in our life. Simon Peter, remember? He was one of the original 12. In fact, he was one of the inner circle of Peter, James, and John, you know? He was one of the ones that, you know... Uh, Peter, James, and John, you know, and okay. Uh, so we, we know that. Uh, it's very familiar. Now, Simon was his name, and Jesus is actually the one that gave him the nickname that stuck, uh, Peter, which that's the English word, comes from the Greek word Petros. Petros. Uh, you may also have come across places in the New Testament where it, it transliterated the Aramaic, uh, which is what most of the Hebrew Jewish people actually spoke at that time. Uh, their main language. A lot of these people growing up in that culture, a lot of them spoke Aramaic, they spoke Greek, and they also spoke Latin, and then other dialects along with it. So um, anyway, you probably have seen the Aramaic uh, equivalent of it, Cephas. So sometimes he's called Cephas. That means the same thing as Petros, which means in English, Peter, which means a rock, right? See, he's the original, the rock. Dwayne Johnson, eat your heart out, right? Because this is the rock. Is Simon Peter. Uh, and the funny thing is, is that Jesus called him this. When Jesus first called him this, he was 
He wasn't even close to being the rock. He was a long ways from that. I'm glad that Jesus does not merely see us as we are, but he sees us as he will make us. And he calls us by that name. I lost my watch. Somebody ought to say amen. And you just did that because I asked you to. See, <laughs> I mean, aren't you glad that he sees us as he will make us? Well, this is the guy, if you read the New Testament. Remember, he was quick-tempered. He a lot of times shot his mouth off, uh, saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. I can identify. I'm glad there's real people here I can identify with. You know, one time, it was right, you know, this was right after Jesus. had Peter had said something good. And Jesus had said, you are Peter, you're Petros. And on this rock, I will build my church. And it was about that statement that he had just made about, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And it was right after this that Jesus started talking about how that he was going to be betrayed, how that the religious leaders were going to try to kill him, and all of this. And it was that in Matthew 16, if you want to look it up later, that, that, that Simon Peter took him inside and, and, and started trying to get on to Jesus and told Jesus, that this kind of stuff's not going to happen to you. And you know what Jesus did? Right after calling him the rock, he says, hey, you are acting like the devil. <laughs> He said, get behind me, Satan. You are only valuing the things of man, not the things of God. Yeah, so, you know, big moment, and then, you know, he blew it. Then there was that time, the night before the crucifixion, hours before Jesus was crucified. Jesus brought up again that this whole thing about what's going to happen. And he said that he, the shepherd, would be smitten and they would be scattered. And that's when Peter boldly said, he says, you know what? These guys might all, but not me. I'll die for you. And that's uh, when, a few hours later, this same rock denied that he even knew who Jesus was three times. Not once, but three times. Remember that? Remember that? Yeah, this is our guy. Um, but this is the same disciple who had that tender moment with the resurrected Jesus later on, after Jesus was resurrected by the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus asked him three times if he loved him and told him to feed his sheep. This is also, are you with me? Come on, you got to stay with me or I'll get, you'll get lost here. This is the same guy who, because of transformation, wasn't denying Jesus anymore. I mean, some amazing things happened. He stood boldly on the day of Pentecost and proclaimed the gospel, and everybody heard it. It's the same guy who stood in front one day of that same council that masterminded the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the same group of people that he was afraid of, he stood in front of them one day after they had arrested him and told him not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus. He boldly said we ought to obey God rather than men and counted it a joy that they were ticked off at him and that he got beaten and whipped. And I mean, and it's just a transformation. He became the man Jesus was talking about. This is a guy who I think we can identify with. He definitely had his ups and downs. But his Lord and Savior never, ever gave up on him. It turns out, with all of the mess that we see early on, turns out he's just the kind of guy Jesus can use. You might feel messed up, and when you put your best foot forward, you trip over it. And Jesus is saying, you're the rock, and the next thing he says, you're acting like the devil. You might be that kind of person, but you're just the kind of person Jesus can use if you give your whole heart to him. And if you realize he's not going to give up on you, what are you doing giving up on him? As he focuses on our eternal hope in this book, in this letter, it starts off with our identity in Christ. 
And then you see these three things flowing out that I kind of mentioned as we were reading through it. You see hope. And then as a result of that hope that we have because of the grace that he's given us and our faith in it, you have holiness where he separates us, sets us apart, and enables us. And then thirdly, we have harmony as we are loving one another. We need to see some of this coming out of our lives. So first of all, you need to think about your identity. Your identity. He identifies those to whom he's writing. And you know what? He's identifying you too. Did you notice how he did that? He says to those, those he said, who are elect exiles, or they are strangers, they are aliens who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. You are chosen aliens, exiles. That's weird, isn't it? It's important to know your identity, though. Know who you are, right? If you don't know who you is, you know what I say, right? Yeah. Be who you is, okay. If you don't know who you truly are, and you'll never, you'll, you'll never know who you truly are until you know who you are in Christ, your creator. The only one who knows you is your creator. And you can't know yourself until you know him. So all you out there trying to find yourself and find out who you are, you're never going to find out who you are until you find out who you are in the one who made you. Because who I am was tainted and messed up by sin in my life. And that sinful nature that I inherited all the way back from Adam. All right. Uh, and so I all right off the bat was not exactly being who God really wanted me to be. But I'm glad that I came in contact with his grace. And I'm glad that I put my faith in his grace. And his grace is changing me and making me into who he made me to be. I'm not there yet. But praise God, he's not giving up on me. So I'm not giving up on him. Amen. Your identity. Uh, rightly understanding our identity that he says we are chosen or elect according to heaven and we are exiles or aliens or strangers according to earth. We're just passing through. This is not our home. We are actually citizens of heaven uh, and uh, we are strangers in the kingdom of darkness. This is what he says you are. So here's the big idea. The big idea that we want to get across is that he wants us to realize your status in the kingdom of God and all that comes with that and also your alien status in this world. This world is not your home. Everybody, some people acting like this is all that there is and putting their whole life and they're not thinking about forever. They're not thinking about eternity. They're just thinking about what makes them happy right now at the moment. Listen, he's saying that you need to realize this world is not your home. You're an alien. You're a stranger. You're a pilgrim here. Your real status is you are chosen and you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And we need to realize this is going to equip us to live hope-filled lives and God-honoring lives and help us to even love other people who are hard to love. That's what this is going to do. We need to realize he gives us the strength to overcome that sinful nature. And he also gives us wisdom to identify and modify the thought and behavior patterns that we've picked up from the world. Mm -hmm. Some of us spend a whole lot more time being influenced by the thought and behavior patterns of our culture than we do being influenced by the Word of God. No wonder we're messed up. I can't help but notice the Trinity here, too. You see it? 
See, it's one of those things that just is, we can't get our mind all around it, right? But it's just always there. It's always there. It's always there. Did you see that in verse 2? Did you see that he said that you are elect or chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling of blood? Uh, so you see the involvement. You see the involvement of a three in one, Trinity in unity. It's not three persons. It's not one God with three different hats. It's one God, one essence, three persons. Eternally. Yeah. That's the kind of God we serve. But you see it. It's just there. It's not something you're going to be able to reason out and understand with your finite gray matter. Yeah? It's just there. I mean, you see, the Father planned to save you. The plan, the Father's plan. The Son earned your salvation on the cross where he shed his blood. And the Spirit applies it by setting you apart and consecrating your life to God. That's sanctification. That's about holiness. That's what that's all about. And that's what he's saying, that this is what's happening. It doesn't matter what my opinion or anyone else's opinion is. What matters most is God's own opinion. And he says that you are chosen in him. The Father's plan, the Spirit's power, the blood of Jesus Christ who came and carried out that plan and paid that price. It's all there. It's all there. The foreknowledge of God. People are like, oh, what is... He, he knew you before you were born because he knows all things. But get this. So quit trying to figure out, well, are some people chosen and some people not? Here, here's what you need to understand. You're never going to be able to fathom that deep mystery, okay? But here's what you can know. You can know that he knew you and all the junk that's in your mind and in your life. And he knew about it all and he loved you. How? Only God could love me knowing that. But he knew you, yet he loved you and chose, he chose to die to pay for all your sins, past, present, and future. Before the world was even created. There you go again. That's even deeper. It's impossible for us to understand God's sovereign knowledge. But simply know this. He knew you would be born and would be a sinner separated from God. And he chose to die for you and pay for your sins before the world began. And this is realized in your life when you choose, it's your responsibility, that you choose to put your faith in Christ alone for salvation. But that's all possible because he foreknew you and already chose to do what he needed to do to save you. Praise God. That's good news. Yeah. Don't get numb to it, please. Peter writes to these, uh, this to Christians who are learning to live out their faith in a whole new world that's changing fast. He doesn't want them to be surprised at the suffering. Because, you know, some people talk about, oh, if you just trust in Jesus, you won't have any problems. No, there are going to be problems in this world. This world isn't heaven. We're living in a sin-cursed body. We're going to have struggles, right? I have struggles. My worst struggles isn't really with the world. or It's, my, it's with me. That flesh part of me. I need to yield my will to the Lord and not to me. But there's going to be persecution. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be trials. Just because of that. But there's going to be particularly trials because you are light shining in the darkness. And the darkness doesn't like it. And that's why he goes on in the next verse. In verse 6. I'm going to put this one up there. It says, in this you rejoice. Yippee! Hallelujah! I'm rejoicing right now. Though, 
though. Though now. And he reminds us that it's for a little while. Even if you live to be as old as old man Daryl Cope over there. That's not rude for me to say that when you're 95, okay? Right? Right. You agree. See, I had the green light there. That compared to forever is a little while. Get that? So it's just a little while. He says, if necessary. Now, I like that. If it's necessary. I'm afraid that a lot of the suffering that I do really wasn't necessary. It wasn't brought on by the devil. It wasn't brought on by the world of darkness. It, it, was brought, it wasn't brought on by our culture, our world. It was brought on by me. Huh? Can anybody say it? A lot of my suffering has been caused by me. But so that's why he says, if necessary. And there's times we create problems when there shouldn't be a problem. Right? We create tension when there doesn't have to be tension. We create a conflict when God doesn't want conflict, right? There are those times. So he says, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, right? And many of us said, amen, while ago, and we said, how many have been grieved? You're grieved by various trials. That means all kinds of trials. Then in verse 7, he says, so that. Now, here's good news. See, it's not for nothing. I mean, you're just not just, you're not just going through bad times just because of bad times, that even the bad and even the things that are hard to understand and even the mistreatment and, and even the suffering, there is purpose in it and it can be rich. And he tells us, here's what you know, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, that's how God knows whether we trust him, but we need to know. I need, and the only way I'm going to be revealed is go through the fire. That's where I grow. I like the mountaintop when the blessings flow, don't you? That's where I usually start to backslide. It's in the valley when things are tough, when I begin to say, oh, God, whatever I need to do, show me. I just need you. So thank you for the valley that I walked through today. It used to be an old song you would hear sung occasionally. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. It's tested by fire. What happens to gold? It gets more pure and more pure. But gold is one day going to perish because everything in this world is going to be destroyed, right? And it says, may be found. So this is better than gold. You're gold. You are gold. May be found to result. Here's the result. Pure gold in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's coming a day when Jesus comes back that because you've been through the fire, the, 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 what is, comes out of your life is going to be to the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. There is nothing else, believe me, that's going on in this world, in your life, that's going to be as awesome as what that will be on that day when he comes back and our lives glorify him, especially the part where we go through the fire. That's what he's saying. Okay, uh, i got to move on here because he wants to see incredible opposition is actually incredible opportunity to live out your faith and to show the difference that Jesus makes. God wants us to live out our lives in such a way that when people who don't know or don't follow Jesus see how we're living, it will refute the prejudices that they have. Then, Peter says, they can be won over one day. He later on says, and then they can give glory on that day. They can give glory to God on that day when Jesus returns because they come to know the faith through your trial. That's one of the things that comes out of this. So there is that. And then, you know, we're going to run through this pretty quick. He talks about the hope that not only our identity and knowing who you are in Christ, but now let's go fast. 
because this brings hope. It brings hope. In 1 Peter 1, 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. So he saved us according to his great mercy. And let me tell you, it's endless. According to that. Not according to the fact that anything we've done to earn it, we haven't. It's according to the fact that he's just great in mercy. All glory goes to him, right? For my salvation. According to his great mercy, he has caused us. He gets all the credit for this. All I did was put my faith in him and receive him. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. It's a hope that is alive. Not just a hope, but a hope that is alive through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's all about life. Just like Jesus conquered death, conquered sin, and is alive, your hope is resurrected. It is alive, and it will always be alive if it is in Jesus Christ. Remember, it's kind of hope. It's not what a lot of people call hope. I mean, the way we use the word hope in our English language today a lot of times, it's just like positive thinking or wishful thinking, right? Like, I hope. I just hope so. Maybe it will, maybe it won't, right? Like, uh, like Mike over here is hoping I hurry up and get this point across, right, and move on, right? That's just wishful thinking, buddy, because uh, it may not happen. It might get hung up here. But, um, but anyway, the hope that we have in Christ is different than that, as we've talked about many, many times. It is, as you see here, it is the joyful anticipation of the fulfillment of every promise God has made. We are, have our faith in that. It's just as real as if we have it, even though we haven't received all of it. We are joyfully, there is joy that is inexpressible, unspeakable. There are no words. You can't even get your thoughts around the joy that he brings because of this, that we can't even express it of the promises of God. Every one of them are going to be fulfilled. And you know, even though we may not have it yet, we have a little bit of heaven on earth because we're enjoying anticipation and we're enjoying it motivates us, doesn't it? It motivates us to know what's waiting on us to get through the bad times, to keep going when the going gets tough. It motivates us. The inheritance that is in heaven where it cannot fade away. It doesn't matter what happens here. This is temporary. It can't fade away. It can't be diminished. It can't be destroyed or spoiled. It's reserved for us. It, and it moves us. It pushes us when times get tough. That we are able to see beyond the now. But it also enables us to live more fully in the now. We're not like those who are so heavenly minded. They're no earthly good. We're actually living more fully in the now. Because of what we know is beyond the now. Because of our faith in Him, who He is and what He's done. I just read in verse 3, because of our faith in who He is and what He has done, we have salvation and the hope that comes with it. We've been born all over again. And what we're going to receive is waiting for us in heaven where it can't be touched and when it can't be stolen, it can't be spoiled. Our hope is alive. Our, listen, our hope is alive and our hope has a name. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Amen. All right. Um, now, as we keep looking at this, uh, we see that this motivates us 
because of our faith in him. In verse 5, he has already mentioned who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. We're going to receive it all someday, but we are guarded because of our faith. That means that's something you're responsible for. Are you trusting him? Are you trusting him? Your faith in him. We have access to the power that guards us while we wait to, wait to receive all that's part of our salvation and all that's waiting for us in heaven. Did you see that he says that we are, verse 5 again, take a look at it, who by God's power are being guarded. We're being protected. Now the word guard is a Greek word that means to keep under guard and it comes from a compound word that means to watch over. It was used of sentinels who watched and guarded. So according to what he's saying here is that the very power of God because of our trust in him is like watching all around us to protect us and guard us. I'm glad I have the power of God because I trust him to guard me even in the tough times. Are you going on your own or are you going on faith that his power will guard you? That's a promise, man. You see that in verse 5. Do you realize this is available to you when you trust him, you have faith? And it's not just a strength. It's like, okay, Lord, give me the super strength. It's not just a strength. It's his strength. You know, the strength that spoke and the universe was formed out of nothing. That's the kind of strength we're talking about. That all comes out of that, verse 5, who by God's power, whose power, whose strength? God's power, God's strength, are guarded. He's there. Quit trying to do it on your own. And as it says, there will be trials, but it's only for a little while and only if necessary. The living hope that propels us through trials produces that joy that I've already mentioned. In verse 8 it says it's inexpressible as we wait on the fulfillment of all that God has for us. And then he says, this is so amazing, he says in verse 10, concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. They were inquiring what person or what time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And he said, you know, they prophesied about these things, but they didn't understand them all because it was being gradually revealed but it now has been revealed, he's saying. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you. They didn't know that they were writing these for people who were coming after them. But he says, he says now, he says, I want you to know. In verse 12, he says, uh, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel, the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. He said that, that this, is what you're, this is what it's all about. It's the gospel that God has sent down that you have heard now. And he said the angels even desired. The angels are even curious. The angels are even in awe over this. So there is this, this hope that is alive. Now, quickly, it's going to produce two more things that we see come out of this passage. Because he says, therefore, verse 13, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought when Jesus comes back. And he said to be obedient, not conformed to the passions of our former ignorance. You know, you know that's the thing. Because we all have those passions that are not good, those desires that are not good. I was living in ignorance and I was living for myself. He says, you don't have to be enslaved to that. And listen, if you're a Christian, don't be enslaved to those things. And it's a whole list of things, not just one thing that we can, and, and God wants to set you free from that. He wants to motivate you to be alert and be obedient. And you have the opportunity, saying here, to live out your salvation in such a way that it shows the world there is a difference. And they're going to have a tough time explaining you. That's what we need to see. <sighs> He says, 
But as he's called, who he, the one who called you is holy, he wants you to be holy. He wants you to be like him. Verse 17, and if you call uh, on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, he says this. Listen, are you listening? Conduct yourselves, verse 17, with fear, that's reverence, throughout the time of your exile, the time that you're on earth. We need to have that holy reverence of the fact that we're going to stand before God, knowing that you were ransomed. It cost him a lot to save you. He went to a lot of trouble. You were ransomed from the futile ways. You know, hey, why go back to that? Why do that? Why think like that? Why be involved in that? Why partake of that? Because all that stuff did was cause a mess in your life. And he went to a lot of trouble to deliver you from that. The futile ways you inherited from your forefathers. Well, I'm just, you know, can't help it. I'm just like my family's all. No! You inherited from them, but he wants to deliver you from that. He wants to break the cycle in your life, and from there on, maybe it'll be different in your family. I don't know. That you inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. What did he redeem you with? What did he, verse 19, with the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without blemish or spot. If you've been showing up on Wednesday nights, we're going through the Bible chronologically. You're finding out how that he set up these sacrifices. He's teaching us. It's all pointing to something. Well, right here, this is what it was pointing to. It's Christ, who was the real lamb of God without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was manifest or revealed in the last times for sake of you. Did you hear what he's saying? He already knew and loved you and decided to die for you, but it was revealed in these last times. That is, Jesus actually came and died on the cross in real time. Did you hear what he called it? Last times. If Peter thought they were living in the last times and we're in the very last of the last times, I'll promise you. He says... Who through him, we are through him believers in God. There's our faith. Who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are where? Where is your faith and your hope? In God. Yeah, that's right. So this grace enables a purity, a holiness. We want to conduct ourselves according to the way he wants us to conduct ourselves. Amen? This hope motivates us. And then the last thing is harmony. Which means getting along. There's a lot of disunity in the world today. And we do need to stand up for God's truth. But we need to do it in a way. So you can stand up for truth in such a way that you deny the truth in other areas. I didn't know how close I was to the edge. So I was, did you see that? I was a little nervous. <sighs> a curtsy, yes. <sighs> That there are, there's a lot of, there, there are a lot of people who might be open to grasp God's truth and believe God's truth. And then it's a process of going through and embracing God's truth. And it doesn't happen all at once. But there might be certain things that you and I require everybody to agree with or you're just out. And we don't even get the opportunity to connect because we've already offended and that's why he says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. So this comes out of the holiness for a sincere brotherly love. Eh, I mean, why should the world be attracted to the love of God through the gospel when they look at the people who claim to believe it and they're all fighting and bad-mouthing and gossiping about each other? See, it's not the way it's supposed to be. I mean, I can't control if people are going to say bad things about me, and, and they have. And you know what the Holy Spirit revealed to me? 
there's been some bad things said about me that some of them were not true. But he's like, don't be so upset because there are probably worse things about you that are true and they don't know about it. <laughs> Amen? He says, but I do, and I had to suffer and die on the cross for it, so you're getting off easy. So, you know, and our battle is not with one another. It's, it's the enemy is Satan. And so this is the thing that he's saying. He says, brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Not this fake stuff. Oh, love you, love you, love you. It's, it is real love from a pure, it's genuine, and it's from a pure heart. It's got to come from here. And he says that one of our motivations is that hope that we have. And he says, and you realize that I haven't been born again by a perishable seed, but what was implanted in my life is a living, abiding word of God. You don't get saved without the word of God coming into your life. You don't get saved just by positive attitude. That's why we've got to get the gospel, the word of God to people. Without it, people can't be saved. You've got to get the word out. And that's what he said, you were, uh, but, but through, you, were, you were born again through the living and abiding word of God. And he quotes from Isaiah where he says, all flesh is like grass and, and even the best we have is just like a flower. How long does a grass, how long does a flower last? Not very long, it fades. He says, that's what's happening to all the glory of mankind on earth. But the word of God will endure from forever. And this word is the gospel that's been preached to you. Now, I'm gonna, you're not going to get away from this. You can run all your life, say you don't believe it, and hide from it, and you're going to stand right before God and be judged by this gospel. It's not going away. So why don't we build our lives on it? Why don't I put my hope in it? In the fact that it is a living and abiding word of God, it has the power to help me become who I could never become on my own, and it helps me to have the power to love people that otherwise would be pretty unlovable. I can do good to people who've done bad to me. I can say good things about people who said bad things to me. That's the power of this. That's what he's saying that this hope opens up. And that's what he's teaching them that they need to have and that they need to do. We have a living hope because we have a living faith in a living Savior. And it is based on the living and abiding Word of God. When everything else in the universe is gone, it remains. Our genuine love. For people is demonstrated in action. That has the potential to be the most powerful proof of God's good news to people in the world today. He challenges us to live out what we say we believe. The hope, the holiness, the purity, the love. All right, let's take it home. Uh-oh. <laughs> I went by. Sorry. I did that. I hit the wrong button up here. You get to see all this over again. Here we go. Let's take it home. As Peter did. You and I live in an increasingly hostile world, but our God cares for us and will provide everything we need to be victorious. And he gives us a hope that motivates us even through the trials. And his power, his strength is there to guard us. And we can offer our worries, which we're going to have. We're going to have trials. We can offer those worries to him and we can embrace the hope one day we're going to be with him forever. One day all this will be gone. And to realize that it is the message of hope that we need to share. We need to share this message of hope in the midst of the darkness. And share encouragement in the midst of exhaustion. And share the promise in the midst of this world that is so empty and struggling. Hope alive. It is living. Is there evidence of it coming through our lives? He said, I pray that it will be.
Don't forget who you are. Don't forget who you are. You are chosen. You are redeemed. You are loved. You are precious. You are set apart. You are empowered. And you are someone that can let God's light shine through you into that dark, hopeless world. Let's pray. Father, 